The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Somebody, it stepped in me and it changed me and transformed me. I believe it. I believe it. Amen. And I know in my study, I was trying to be holy and then all reformed and whatnot. But when I started reading about God's word, I just knew that his power and what he has for us was something that we just could not fathom. It is the mysterious aspects of the personal work of Jesus Christ goes far beyond systematic theology and far beyond just the theological aspect. But it's a spiritual reality that actually transforms the individual and makes them different because somebody else sees the metamorphosis of that individual's life and they're sanctified by his righteousness. I ain't even got to my sermon yet, but I'm a... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, let me calm down and preach God's word. I'm glad to be in his house this morning. But see, I was in the barbershop the other day. And, 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 you know, I go to the barbershop to make sure the ball head ministry stays shining. And then I was, as I was in the barbershop, unbeknownst to me, I heard about the three-year-old boy in North Carolina who was lost in the woods. And they found him for 48 hours. He was three years lost in the woods and nobody can find him. Uh, and then they just heard this whisper of a young man who was under a lot of water. And that was it was 20 degrees. He was three years old. He was all by himself. And uh, they found him. The search team found him. But they asked him, you know, what was out there? Was there? anything with you. He said, I had a friend warming me up. He said he, he had a bear that he that was with him throughout that time. And now the barbershop is like, it wasn't a bear. It couldn't have been anything. And I, I was like, I don't know, you know. It wasn't a reverend, you know, the revenant where the, where the bear was eating. Uh, my God. But, but what I thought about is, whatever it was, he felt comfort. Lost. He was cold, he was lonely, he was by himself. But to him, he had something there to cover him, protect him. I think about the Holy Spirit in this sense. Because the person in the work of the Holy Spirit is something in which many of us feel like it's an it. But the pronoun actually is that he is a he. And the Bible describes him in many different ways in terms of being oil, in terms of being a dove, in terms of being water, etc. The Bible has various different ways to make the Holy Spirit, which can seem as if it's that bear, that it's not real. But it's very tangible. He is very real. And he still speaks to this day. And when you think about that reality, then we have to look at our text this morning and say, why does Jesus send an helper to his people in order for them to continue to live this life? Well, we understand and should understand that the personal work of Jesus Christ is one in which he has to die on the cross in order for us to have salvation. But now the Holy Spirit has come in order to apply the salvation in which Jesus brings. But here's what our text shows us this morning. And as we struggle with this fact of where is he and is he real? The text shows us three things, four, five things, sorry. We won't take too much of your time. But it's that the Holy Spirit bears witness 
The Holy Spirit also keeps, helps us keep the faith. The Holy Spirit also helps us to be light. He reminds us that we need to trust in His guidance and that He will glorify the Lord. Bear witness, keep the faith, be light, trust His guidance, and glorify the Lord. Before we dive into God's Word, let me pray for us. Oh, holy and mighty God, will you speak this morning? Hide me beneath your cross as your word goes forth. And help people to see who the Spirit is and how he fills them up and strengthens them so that they can walk this walk. They can run this race. I pray, Jesus. That you do something in the hearts and lives of those who do not believe in your spirit. Who are actually suspicious of it because of so many different explanations. I pray Jesus that this morning that you be, you help your spirit to be clear to them. For it is in Jesus mighty name that we pray. All God's people said. So the first thing is we see in chapter 15, verse 26 to 27, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness. And when we see this, he says, but when the Helper comes, in verse 26, but when the Helper comes, who, will, who I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me, about me. And you will also do what? Bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. When you look at verse 26 and 27 of chapter 15, we see that the Holy Spirit will come to the disciples, much like he will come to us as well. The ESV you see here describes him as the helper. We have other English translations that actually describes him as the advocate, as the counselor, as one who which is the comforter. But this comes from the Greek word parakletos, in which many of us have heard described before, and it is translated in such a way that it will show that this is a legal representative or a lawyer who intercedes this helper, this advocate, this legal advisor, is the intermediary in the midst of a world that will judge them. And when we understand that Jesus is saying, I am sending this paracletos, which he actually can be described and was described as the same way. Because he's saying, you look at the chapter before uh, in, in verse in John 20, 14, 26, where he says, I'm sending another helper, another who will dwell in and not only with. And that makes the substantial difference in terms of what Jesus is saying. The person in the work of the Holy Spirit that I am sending will come just like I am a paracletos along with you, but he will actually feel and dwell in you. And that is a reminder of who we are, temples of the living God, that he resides in us and he is always helping us to mediate the presence of God and understand the teachings that we hear in reading our Bibles and then he comforts us and consoles us in the absence of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad to have the Holy Spirit? And this Holy Spirit is one who doesn't contradict, but it also reaffirms the fact that you can look and see the Trinity is held intact. And as the Trinity is held intact, he's actually reminding us in Romans 8, 26 to 27, that he, 
the Holy Spirit intercedes, but then in Romans 8.34, Jesus actually intercedes. This is the clearest understanding and expression of the distinction between the Holy Spirit and the Christ. Jesus Christ. Amen? That work has to be done because sometimes a lot of us can look at the Bible and think that these are two and the same. But no, we affirm the fact that the Trinity is three persons with three distinct people. And as they work in unity together to do God's work. So the Holy Spirit does what? Jesus says. He comes to bear witness. But why does he come to bear witness? He's come to bear witness to remind the disciples as they are living their lives of what's to come. What What are they grieving about? That Jesus will leave. Of what is to come that judgment will come. That people will hate them. You can read right in verse 25 where it says, But the word that was written in the law must be fulfilled. That they hated me without a cause. They will hate us without a cause. And Jesus says that this Holy Spirit will be the actual remembrance of what I when I healed the brother, when I brought Lazarus back, when I healed the young girl, when I was actually speaking and preaching truth in the Sermon of the Mount, showing authority over all teachings and all things, the Holy Spirit will actually remind you because you know me. It is almost as if the Holy Spirit will lay out photographic evidence of the disciples standing with Jesus in every instance that where he performed works and miracles. This is the one who will affirm the fact that he was known and they have known him from the beginning. Amen. You see that in John 6, 64, where it says, you have been with me from the beginning. And now you know that as I send this Holy Spirit with you, he will bear witness as to what you should believe. So now this helps them to not only bear witness, but keep the faith. That's the next verse. When you go in the next chapter, verses 1 through 4, they're falling, they're tempted to fall away. Fall away because of the hardship, because of the persecution, because of what they are going through. Have you ever thought about how much you have to keep your faith every day? Have you ever thought about how hard it is? Have you felt as if your life every single day because they lived in a hostile environment? The level of opposition was so intense that it would cause them to walk away from Jesus. The very one in which they bore witness to the acts of what he did. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? And so when he says that in verse chapter one, uh, chapter uh, chapter sixteen, verse one, I have said all these things to you. Then look at verse two. They will put you out of the synagogue. I'm going to give you a picture of what the synagogue was. The synagogue was actually in people's homes. And when they would meet the synagogue, people would enter in and there would be a bedroom there, there would be a restroom back there, there would also be a kitchen right in the back, and they would have a temple meeting right there in the synagogue. And so people would actually be pushed out of, the disciples in particular would be pushed out of the synagogue because they believe and profess that Jesus is the Messiah. I want you to think about this for a moment. The reality in which they attest to God's word, which we already affirm in Richard's sermon, being true, they're actually kicked out of the very place that declares that they know the Messiah. The reason which they ought to keep the faith is because it's the very fact of knowing God. Just this week, I was teaching a Bible study, and y'all have heard me always use the P 
paradigm that knowing God means knowing self means knowing others. And if you kind of keep that in your in your mind, if you kind of keep that paradigm, that reality says, then if I know God, I have a better sense of who I am as a human being. Not only if I have a better sense of who I am as a human being, is better. I got a better sense of who I who I am in community around other people. And what this then means is that I can treat others as if God has treated me. John 13, 34 through 35. Loving others as Jesus has loved you and you will show that you are his disciples. Well, one brother has it being three. I'm going to figure four things, three verse 38 where it talks about the surpassing worth of simply knowing God. The fact that simply knowing God is, is so worthy that Paul would lose absolutely everything. And the brother said to me, he said, well, how do you know that you know God? He said, how do you, how do, how do you, how do you actually know that you know God? And he was wrestling with that for a minute. And one brother gave his testimony. He said, listen, man, I know God because when I was sitting in the prison cell, he was the only thing that reminded me of who I, who I was and what I had. And we got to the point that it's by faith. That you're walking this by faith. That you can only believe by faith. <laughs> you, you cannot try to not know God without trying to have faith in Him. If you just try Him this morning, when you leave out of this place, don't forget Him. Just give Him a minute of your time. Use your Bible to read who He is. But I promise you, the Spirit of the living God will come alongside of you and help you understand His Word so that you may not fall away. And this is important because when we look at this, I remember when I was going off to college, my pastor sat down with us and he talked to many of us and he said, listen, there will be peers and professors that will always try to distract you from the faith. They will try to cause you to walk away. And so here are the things that I want you to look out for. And as he listed those things to look out for, I remember encountering various different individuals on the campus and trying to keep the faith, etc. And seeing people saying, I'm in college now, I'm going to do me. I was seeing my friends who went to certain schools and they came back and their theology and, and, their, and, and their understanding of life had changed. And they did not declare Jesus as Lord. In fact, they challenged the reality of which is the Bible even true. They challenged the fact of does, does Jesus, does this, is this spirit even real? Do people even know him? And it was sad to see my own brothers and sisters walk away from the faith. Many of them walked away because of intellectual struggles. Others walked away because of struggles that they had socially. Many of them had boyfriends or girlfriends that dragged them away. Many of them had trying to find their purpose in one in particular injustice and fighting for a reality which they are fighting for justice in some other place but knowing that Jesus is the one to bring true justice. They fall away because they don't know him. Jesus is saying, keep the faith. Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, just like my pastor prepared me, the Holy Spirit prepares you to encounter every single division of uh, uh, every single thing that will cause opposition. Spirit prepares you. D.A. Carson says that you are forewarned in order for you to be forearmed. I put a little spin on it. I said you're forewarned in order to give any opposition a forearm. Amen, somebody. <laughs> but, but, but this is because you ought to keep the faith of the one that you know. 
so many of us struggle and I see so many people struggle over who Jesus is and over the power of the Holy Spirit and oftentimes it's because of the church's own fault but we as a church have not displayed the unity that the Trinity has displayed we've been divided church we are intentionally trying to be multi-ethnic, multi-class multi-generational in order for us to wrestle with the tension but sometimes it gets too hard to wrestle with all of the multis because things isn't one way even in the church many have been oppressed in our own country due to racism and due to unfair activities and unjustness and when we understand what the Holy Spirit brings is for us to bear witness to one another so that we can keep the faith in unity so that we may emulate Him. But how can people feel with the Holy Spirit hate each other? If we attest to anything, we should attest to the fact that the very thing that lives in us brings us together. When you look at this table this morning, I want you to look at a table that actually brings us together. But then I also want you to think about the person that you have a conflict with. And I want you to ask them for forgiveness. I want you to, I want you to actually go to that person or think about them or pray before you even come to this table. And offer that to the Lord. Why? Because the devil should have no room for his schemes to work in the church along with the people of God. But Jesus lets them know that you're going to be challenged. Look at verse 2. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. There are people who've done things in the name of Jesus that have been blasphemous. And there needs to be a reality where we know that what people are doing in the name of Jesus ought to be confronted. And that's what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do, saints. Go through trials and tribulations by themselves and not stand up with them and proclaim whether it be justice, whether they be someone who is coming against their faith, whether you feel as if they're being attacked in their own workplace. If you see a brother and sister and they're a fellow Christian and you see that they're in a discussion with someone else who's trying to attack their faith, you need to just come alongside of them and stand by them and slap them in the back of the head and let them know, just keep preaching the gospel. Keep telling them that you know Jesus. That's what we do. We cheer each other on. Even as we think about our brothers and sisters in China, I was just talking to a mission pastor last week and he was saying he was right in China and he, but the people that he was about to do the lecture to were arrested. And they told him to stand in his, stay in his room. Because all of them were going to jail. Derek Lamb said that I would not, he's a Chinese pastor, said I will not bow to any other God. I'm willing to go to prison. Persecuted for the fact that they know the truth. Persecuted for the fact that they know that there is no one else or nothing else that is greater than God. But see, the disciples had trouble with this because they asked Jesus, Where are you going? No, they do not, I'm sorry, they do not ask Jesus, Where are you going? 
they only think about why aren't you with us? I want you to think about that. They are struggling with the fact that Jesus himself is not with them. This is being light. The next point. They're struggling with the reality that Jesus is no longer with them. And their hearts are filled with sorrow. Where Jesus is saying, no, your hearts will be filled with joy when I give you the helper. But it's true, isn't it? It's true of us to feel sorrow and to grieve because of the things that we've seen and what we've been through. It's true, isn't it, to think that Jesus isn't tangible enough, the Holy Spirit isn't tangible enough for us to see. It's not, some of us may like, is it really real? I didn't have one of the the emotional arousals. But is it about that? Is it about who you know? Because when you think about the fact of like, I I, I always go to the dentist or the doctor, and when I do, I'm always fearful. Right? Because I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm the guy when I walk into the dentist's office, I'm like, Doc, don't even worry about it. I probably got six cavities here. My son went Halloween, trick-or-treating and all of that, and I had all the bags and skittles. So listen, don't tell me. Just do the work, okay? I'm I'm confessing immediately. When I go to the doctor, I'm like, Doc, listen, I know I haven't been eating right. I'm trying to get it together, but, you know, can you you just have some mercy on me this morning? You know, I know cholesterol may be high, something like that. Pray for me, okay? Pray for me, Doc. Pray for me. Don't tell me what to do. Pray for me, okay? But I know when I walk into the doctor or the dental office, like, I am going to be exposed. Because as soon as they ask me what's going on, I can't lie. Because if I lie, the test results will come by, bag, your x-rays, all of that. So I just got to tell them. But that's the same thing that happens when we think about the Spirit. And why we ought to be light, because He exposes us. He is the very individual who says that I dwell in you to expose the mess in you. The self-righteousness, the arrogance, the pridefulness, the way that you treat your neighborness, the way that you aren't actually are comparing yourself to others, the way you enter in community, the way you covered your neighbor's possessions, all the way that you try to be the super Christian, all of that the Holy Spirit is saying, I got a counselor that will work with all of that mess. And you don't have to put up a picture of yourself anymore. The work of the Spirit does work on your heart before you can be light. And so being light requires many of us to allow ourselves to be open on the surgical table of Dr. Holy Spirit to work on our hearts and our minds to dig in on us so that when we go home and we talk crazy to our spouse, we know that we can ask for forgiveness. When we go home and we know that we're looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at, we can slam it down, cover it in eyes. We can, we can do things when we know that we should not be tipping the bottle back as much. We can go ahead and there's something in us, a counselor, that says and comforts us and reminds us that you don't need to be dependent on anything but me. Amen. There's power in that. Because what does he say? 
I know your hearts are filled with grief, but I want to fill your hearts with joy. Because the concern of me leaving, your concern is only selfish. No, it's not that I cannot be co-present with the Holy Spirit on earth. It's the fact that I am sending Him to you. Because it was prophesied that the Spirit will come. And along with the coming of the Spirit, there will be justice, there will be peace, and the kingdom of God will begin, will come and be at hand. It's an affirmation of the Spirit of Joel, the prophet, pouring his Spirit out on the people of God so they can be reminded of the favor and the presence and the power of Him. And so in this prophecy, we know that the prophets were allowing the people of God to trust in what Jesus will do. And Jesus is saying, trust that what's been prophesied has been fulfilled in me. Why does he say that? Because I'm going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Jesus convicting, the Holy Spirit convicting the world is the fact that he is bringing truth. They say that, think about it. Those that don't know, this is what he says. I, I, I got to go back to the Bible just so you may believe what I'm saying. Look at verse 9. Start at verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning what? Sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin concerning because they do not believe in me. The very people that crucified Jesus were the very ones, Jewish leaders and non-believers, who said that he was not the Messiah. And so they were trying to have everybody else conform to their justice and their laws and their moral and their morality. But given to what God has given them, he is saying you're not marked by that. In fact, what he is saying is, is that what they believe to be real and true is not. Because the guilt of sin is the very fact that you cannot do anything on your own. And he weighs them down. Why does the Holy Spirit weigh them down? It's because the guilt of sin will cause them to turn to Jesus. And then he says, this righteousness, concerning righteousness. Look at the next verse. Because I go to the Father and you will be, you will not, I, I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Here's the other issue. That the way that the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders describe righteousness, he is saying that the Holy Spirit will come along and show true righteousness, which is only through Jesus Christ. You may only think about one aspect of righteousness, a spiritual reality, which that is true, where he does the regeneration in your heart, where he changes your life, where he makes sure you're progressively sanctified, all of that good stuff, and one day you will be glorified with him. But I want you to think about the righteousness that actually comes in applying who you know. The righteousness of applying who you know is that the laws in which justice is applied is different. Those that are poor, those that are marginalized, those that are oppressed, they will feel the righteousness that the Holy Spirit brings about through you. Why? Because you're preaching truth. Oddly enough, me and my community group reading through Romans, I mean Acts, and as we were reading through the book of Acts, we got to the point where we seen Sister Dorcas. And she died. They called Peter to bring her back. 
But what's fascinating to me is that the Bible says she was always doing good in helping the poor. I believe it's the Spirit of the Lord that resides in us that causes us to be aware of those that are homeless that walk around our, our church. It causes us to be aware of the poverty that's around our church. It causes us to be aware of the economic injustice that we see that's around our communities. This righteousness is not just a righteousness in which we see our lives are changed. But... It also is affirming the fact that what the Pharisees thought they were doing was a righteous act. Look at Acts chapter... You can find it in Acts chapter 2. Don't go there because we ain't got time. <laughs> but you can look at Acts t- chapter 2 where they thought that they were doing the very thing that was righteous when persecuting and killing Jesus and persecuting Christians. Paul is an example of that. But what does Peter do? Peter reminds them that your righteousness is nothing but a filthy rags through the sermon that he preaches to the people and giving the best illustration of the gospel to a people who thought they were doing righteous acts. Isn't that funny? Many times we as Christians can think we think we're doing righteous acts, but we're not doing them filled with the Spirit. It was Apollos. Apollos, the same preacher who was great, who had all of the the theology, who had all of the knowledge. But Paul said, have you not received the Spirit? It's true that you can affirm the truth of the Bible, but not be filled with the Spirit. I don't want any of us to walk out of here thinking that as long as I know all 66 books, then I'm filled with the Spirit. If you, if you need that, ask for prayer afterwards. But then he says judgment, concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. And i got to move quickly. I want you to think about what he is saying here, because he's saying Jesus is bringing true righteousness. A righteousness that will judge people not on the wrong things. Or not because it's morally perverse. But it's true because he said it's true. Have you ever sung this song? Jesus loved me? Why does he love you? Because the Bible tells you so. It's simple, but here is where the Bible makes it clear that if you don't believe in him, judgment you will suffer without hope. We suffer persecution with hope. We suffer judgment from society with hope. Or y'all tracking with me this morning? And so when you think that if you repent and be baptized and trust in the name of Jesus and His grace, you can go through life feeling every judgment from society, but yet at the same time knowing that you're on the right side. It's concerning judgment. And then trust in His guidance. Trust in His guidance. I want to make this simple because of time. And You want to trust in His guidance when you look at verses 12 through 13. He will guide you. Because the many things that Jesus said that I cannot tell you now, the Spirit actually will tell them. The many things in which they don't understand now, and when Jesus is on the cross, the Spirit will actually affirm what Jesus is doing. This is what he is saying. But I want you to think about it. It also gives them the, it gives them the confidence to know that he will reveal himself, enlighten them, and he will also apply the salvific work that, that, that Jesus accomplished through the cross. 
Then he says, I want you to glorify me. Glorify me. Because the Holy Spirit will glorify me. And declare the glory that has been glorified. Y'all ever seen that song? Be glorified. I'm joking. Um, I actually did think about this song in a minute. But he is saying be glorified because the Holy Spirit will empower us to endure the suffering until Jesus comes. But do you realize, do you know that you cannot be glorified until you die? Or until Jesus comes back? And so the very thing that you see here at this table is a picture of God's glorification being proclaimed through your, your participation. And so when you come here this morning, I want you to know that the paraclete, the one that is within you, whether it's the invisible bear, whether it's something else, the one that is with you always empowers you, but not only empowers you, but transforms you and helps you believe in the very testimony of his faith to you. And we want to proclaim that together as we read Athanasian's Creed. And as we read his creed, we want, I want many of you to know that he proclaims the goodness, and man, y'all can come up. He proclaims the goodness of Jesus Christ through a unity of the Spirit. We talked about this, that unity comes because we're the universal church. And this is what he's saying with the Catholic faith. So I want us to read together the Athanasius Creed, who is a North African uh, bishop, at the t- who was a North African bishop, and wrote this creed to declare the truth about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you will find it on the screen, and we will read it responsibly. Whoever desires to save, uh, be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. Whoever, and the Catholic faith meaning little c, universal, Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will without doubt perish eternally. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the person nor dividing the substance. Such the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father infinite, the Son infinite, and the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. The same way the Father is almighty, the Son 
Almighty, the Holy Spirit Almighty, and yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there there are not three Lords, but one Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your time and your word and that you are God and God by yourself. We ask that as we continue to worship you, Jesus, help us to remember that you're almighty, that your strength and your spirit is within us and it empowers us. Those who do not know you, I pray now, Lord Jesus, that they inquire, that they want to know who you are. So touch every heart and mind in this place. What is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people said. Let us continue to worship God by our giving.